It's good, eh? Happy New Year, too. I'm Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at River Cross, and we want to welcome you here. And I'm just going to say, um, you know, thank you for being here today. I realized getting up this morning, and maybe if you heard the wind blasting against your house, and uh, you thought about uh, getting up and getting clothes ready and warming up the car and, uh, you know, parking across the way and having to walk across the hill here. Uh, you maybe thought about just checking in and watching online. And maybe some of you this morning watching online have done just that. And kudos to you. Um, but uh, thank you for being here. A special thanks to our volunteers who got up this morning and braved the cold and many of whom were here around 7.45, 8 a.m. to make sure that everything was ready this morning. So just a special thank you for being here on this wintry, wintry cold Sunday. We have some people here, I know, who've just gotten home from tropical places. Uh, we have a married couple here this morning who are just home from a much warmer place. Yeah, a couple of them, actually. And so, uh, where are they? I see Ashish, and I see Shika and, and Kobina as well. Welcome back, and congratulations to you. And uh, we're so excited for both couples as you got married over the holidays, and uh, just we prayed for you. And welcome back, and we apologize for the weather. So, um, now, I know some, some preachers like to entice you with chocolates before they speak, as Pastor Joe did last Sunday when he gave you all a chocolate. And I, I apologize, I, don't, I only have bricks for you today. Uh, but we're going to talk about bricks this morning as we get started. Um, and these bricks are symbolic of the things that we carry around with us, the things that we worry about. And uh, this bag is symbolic of our life and kind of the way in which we carry our worries with us. And so maybe into 2018, you're bringing um, some worries about your marriage. And uh, maybe you've got those annoying friends and, you know, they've got every week already goals for every week. They're going to have a date night and every quarter they're going to get away for a weekend. And then, you know, every summer they're going to get away for an entire week. And that, that's their goals for, for their marriage. And your goal for 2018 is just to still be married at the end of 2018. <laughs> and maybe you carry that around with you. Uh, maybe you're a parent and uh, you raised your kids through the early years and now they're in their 20s and uh, you kind of thought that when they got to be in their 20s that you wouldn't have to worry about them anymore and the days of kind of laying in bed at night thinking about them and worrying for them would be over but uh, that's not the case so maybe uh, you carry that around with you. Maybe it's a health concern and 2017 wasn't particularly good to you health-wise and, uh, you know, just even to go out for a walk requires four Tylenol and an appointment with a physiotherapist when you get home. And, you know, you carry that with you into 2018. What is my health going to be like in, in this year? Uh, maybe for some of you, it's job-related, career-related, and you have just signed up for a university program that's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars and three or four years of your life, and you're not sure that when you get out the other end of it, there's going to be employment for you, let alone uh, a salary to own a tiny car with a tiny apartment and have one meal a week. And you're, you're worried about that, and you're, you're not sure, and you're carrying that with you into 2018. And some of you, some of us, carry more than one concern. We have a number of things that we, that we carry with us. Well, over these next number of weeks, we're going to be talking about some people in the scriptures and some, some passages in the scriptures where people are carrying their worries about them and who are looking for a breakthrough. They're looking for a breakthrough. And by breakthrough, we mean they just want things to get better. They just want things to get better. Um, they want things maybe to get lighter. They want things to get easier. Uh, they want things to get warmer today. Um, and maybe even if it comes to something like a relationship, you know, not completely fixed, but moving in the right direction. If it comes to health, maybe not total pain or total chronic pain, but maybe things get a little 
a little bit easier, but there's the sense that we carry around in us this hope that things can't continue into 2018 as they were in 2017. And maybe as you come here this morning, you carry some things with you, and, and you're wondering if there's going to be a breakthrough for you, a change in this new calendar year. Well, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, uh, we're going to look at the character of Hannah in the Old Testament, and she carried many bricks around with her, and she herself was longing for a breakthrough. I'm going to invite you to turn there with me today, if you like. First uh, Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read just the first eight verses. I promise you, none of these verses are what I call teacup verses, the kind that you'd want to stick on a teacup, uh, but we're going to get through them because I think there's something incredibly uh, important for us to, to see and to hear today. First Samuel chapter 1, we're just going to read the first eight verses. And after I read them, I'm going to unpack them a little bit because I think there's three layers of complexity to, these, to, these short, to this short passage. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I barely got through it the first service because of some of the hard names in here, so extend me some mercy if I stumble. There was a man from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, and son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Hang in there. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Panina. Panina had children. Hannah had none. Let me just push pause here for a second. Let me just say that in the scriptures, the teaching is that a husband should have one wife. And in, in a season in Israel's time, they kind of adopted the practice of having more than one wife. So when you, you see it here, you're seeing basically the Israelites adopting a practice that was common to the cultures around them, not because God instructed them to, but because they just chose to live that way. So verse three, year after year, this man went up from his own town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were the priests of the Lord. And we'll come back to them in a minute. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, note that word, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and she would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? little marriage advice, gentlemen. Be careful if you ask that question to your wife. This story has three layers of complexity to it. The first layer is in that first verse with all of those Hebrew names um, that are kind of hard to get through. If you were to unpack those and kind of look at each of those people and see who they were, you'd realize that Elkanah's family is a prestigious family from the tri tri tribe of Levi. They were of the priestly family. They were kind of the spiritual heirs in the community of Israel. And if you grew up in a home where great-grandpa was successful and grandpa was successful and dad was successful, there's pressure on you to also be successful. This is Elkanah's story. He has this distinguished and rich history, but he's got no future because his wife is not able to bear him children. And so he has this problem, this secret that everybody knows about in their family. This is the first layer of complexity. 
The second layer comes with the, with the church community or the temple community in the day, Eli and his sons. If we were to jump ahead to chapter 2, I could read through some verses and would paint a picture for you of how corrupt it was. So imagine kind of in our setting, the pastors would be at the door, and as you came in, we would kind of stop you and ask you if you brought your offering for the morning. And uh, after you, we would ask you to give it to us, we'd take a little bit for ourselves, we'd put the rest in the plate. This was one of their offenses. The other was they were constantly having sexual relations with the kind of the greeters at the door. This was the church culture that these people were a part of. This is what they had to put up with every Sunday. It was corrupt, and everybody knew it. It wasn't a secret. Well, why is that relevant? If you come to church on Sunday morning bringing a brick with you, it's nice to go and be able to be ministered to in a meaningful way, not to be taken advantage of. And for the worship to be the people of God, coming into the presence of God to receive the grace of God. And it's evident from this story that that was not happening. Second layer. Third layer is this, captured in one sentence. Elkanah had two wives, the first Hannah, the second Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. There is a whole world of special dynamics in those few words. Hannah being the first wife would have taken over leadership of the home. She would have been in charge. She had the authority, but she had no children. Penina was kind of her servant. She had to do whatever Hannah asked for her. She had no authority, but she had, she had children. And notice the language here. A rivalry broke out between them. Not only that, it appears that Elkanah has maybe extra love or special love for Hannah. Maybe it's part love. Maybe it's part pity. But he favors her more than other, and it creates this tension in the home. And maybe you can get a little bit of a snapshot of what Christmas dinner is like for this family. But Hannah carries many bricks. She carries the pressure of being able to have children to carry on the family. She lives with this brick of this tension between she and Panina and all of her little kids. She carries the pressure of going to worship again and again and again and for there being no comfort for her because the people there really don't care about her. And if you're coming into 2018 carrying some bricks, there's, there's two images in this passage that I want us to look at, especially if you're thinking of a breakthrough for this year. And the first image is this image of Hannah going to worship year after year. It mentions it twice. Not day after day, not just week after week or month after month. Year after year, Hannah faithfully goes to worship. And think about the difficulty that she faced as she did so. She could have made excuses. She could have said, look, I'm sick and tired of going into church and watching Panina check all of her kid and kids into the nursery while I go and find my seat. She could have said, look, I'm tired of going to church and getting hit on by the pastor at the door. And she thought of all the bricks that she carried and the thought of going to worship week after week seemed overwhelming to her. But you know, we all have bricks. We all have forms of barrenness in our life, don't we? Hannah was unable to conceive and in the ancient world, it was believed that barrenness was almost always the result of the wife, and that oftentimes it was because there was some sin in her life, or she had done something wrong, or God was punishing her for something. And you know, as I've met with couples who've struggled to conceive, I hear these same concerns and these same questions. And let me just share a pastoral observation for you today. The inability to conceive 
can create such intense pressure on a marriage. It creates such incredible tension with siblings who have kids and deep frustration with well-meaning people who try to offer trite phrases and encouragement to them in difficult times. Hannah was not able to conceive, and coming to worship for her was difficult because of that, and maybe some of you know what that's like. But there's also other forms of barrenness. There's emotional barrenness. Maybe hurts from the past have made it hard to make connections, hard to trust, hard to open up. You struggle to be present or to be emotionally available with people, and it has consequences on the relationships in your life. You want to be close, but you don't know how. For some, it's a barrenness around plans and the future. And if one more person asks you what your plans are for next year, you just want to throat chop them. You get sick and tired of everybody coming up to you and asking you what's next. Maybe it's financial, the inability to provide for yourself or to provide for your family. Everything is always a struggle. And as you think about these last few weeks and the intense cold and the repercussions on your heat bill, it's already stressing you out. And just when it seems like you get ahead, the washer breaks, the pipe freeze, something happens. And maybe like Hannah, you have some paninas in your life, some rivals whether they intend to or not, they provoke you with their life. And it seems that in every area that maybe you have a lack or a want or a need, they have an abundance and they're happy to tell you about it. And if all of these are reasons, the challenge of showing up week after week for worship with all of these difficulties is real. Maybe you say, look, I just can't go to another Sunday and ask, have someone in the foyer ask me how the job hunt is going. Or I just cannot go and watch all those happy couples parade through the worship center. And I cannot go through those doors one more week and pretend to be happy. Or to pretend that my faith is strong and to pretend that there's this joy of the Lord in my heart. And if you feel like this, then you know what Hannah feels like. And yet she continues. Week after week, month after month, year after year to go up to worship. And in doing so, she gives us a hint about what it means to be faithful even in a difficult season. And I think the lesson that she would teach to us today, especially if you're here today and you're carrying some heavy bricks, is if you're asking God for a breakthrough, don't cut yourself off from him. If you're asking God to do something in your life, to speak to you, to heal you, to bring some remedy, to bring some resolution to a difficult season... Resist the temptation to alienate yourself from being with him and being with his people. This image of year after year, Hannah going faithfully to worship, is the first image that captured my attention. The second one is of her crying. Hannah's carrying around these bricks and she goes up to worship faithfully, but when she gets there, she weeps. She's got tears. And this picture of Hannah in tears reminded me of a passage from Psalm 126, verse 5, that says this, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. This is a farming metaphor, and I know we're not thinking of too much farming today, Uh, but let me tell you kind of what comes to mind in the ancient world when someone talked about sowing seeds. Um, It was hard work with no immediate reward. It's hard work and there's no immediate reward whatsoever. Um, In the ancient world, before there was machineries, do you know how you sowed seeds? By hand. 
you walked down a row, you stooped over, you dropped the seed, you walked, you stooped, you dropped, repeat, 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 all day long, you go home, uh, put something warm or cold on your back because it's killing you, you get up the next day and you do it again. It was hard work. Sowing is hard work. And it was expensive work because your seeds cost money. And you were essentially taking something that cost money and you're putting it in the ground, hoping for a return. Sowing is the ultimate act of faith. It's the ultimate act of surrender. When you come and you bring your bricks and you bring your broken heart and you bring your burdens and you pour them out in tears before the Lord. And you're confident that they're not going to be wasted. That no matter the difficulty, no matter the challenge, when you bring your tears, when you bring your brokenness, when you bring your concerns, and you place it in the Lord's hands, it will not be wasted, the psalmist says. Just as a farmer plants a seed into the ground and is guaranteed a harvest, so we take our worries and we put them in the Lord's hands. And we say, God, I'm going to ask you to do something with my life. I'm going to ask you to give me joy. I'm going to ask you to give me hope, comfort, or peace. And here's my down payment on all of that. You know what it is? It's my tears. And I'm going to give them to you. And I'm going to watch you do what only you can do. Because this is the God that we serve. We give him our tears. And he gives us joy. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. This is a nice story. Hannah continues to go up to worship again and again and again, never really seeing any resolution. She cries a lot. Thank you for this New Year's pick-me-up. And some of you are thinking right now, well, where's the breakthrough? <laughs> and the reality is, to this point, there isn't one. And maybe for some of you today, that's kind of where you're at. But I share with you this story because I think these two images are helpful to anybody who's in a season of waiting and waiting for God to move and waiting for God to work. This decision that we make to not close ourselves off to the Lord and this decision that we make to continue giving to him our brokenness, our burdens, and our tears. These regular faithful habits of sowing, the hard, daily, disciplined work is the groundwork for a breakthrough. And I know for some of you today, you might be on the verge of giving up. I'm just saying, you know what? I've waited long enough. It's been too difficult for too long. My call to you today is to remind yourself of this verse. We sow in tears and in God's timing and in his season and I can't tell you when and I wish I could say it would be tomorrow that he will give to you his joy. We're going to talk more about that next week. So I hold up to you this story this morning of Hannah, who sows in tears and reaps in joy, this God who takes our tears and promises to us joy. Let me pray for you.